Welcome to another Crowdlinker Fireside Chat. I'm Aram Mukumuf, the host. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, on the show, I'm interviewing product and innovation leaders who are working on big industry disruptive problems from within their large organizations. My guests have been in the trenches and have lots of practical advice to share about how to build quality digital products, staying agile and fostering the innovation culture within uh, their enterprise. This is season two, and this is episode number one. And I'm here with Mohan Gulati to talk about his views on hiring, coaching, and building category-leading products at Torstar. Mohan is a senior member of the digital leadership team at Torstar, and he is responsible for the definition and delivery of all strategic digital product assets and roadmaps. And he's also one of the most knowledgeable people in product that I've had the chance to chat with. Uh, so I'm really excited to uh, have him share our knowledge with us today. So without further ado, Let's dive in. Mohan, it's awesome to have you on our show. Thank you for being here. Yeah, it's awesome to be here. Thanks, Aaron. Cool, cool. Uh, so let's kind of just start off by, uh, why don't you start off telling us about a bit about your role uh, at Torstar? Mm -hmm. um, like, where are you based? Or what are you working on? What does your team look like? Sure. Uh, so uh, my role is Senior Director of Product Management and Digital Delivery. Uh, so we work on a number of different Torstar properties, uh, both web and app. Um, probably the biggest brand that most people know is the Toronto Star, uh, but we also have uh, brands like the Hamilton Spectator, the Waterloo Record, um, the Niagara Daily, plus a whole bunch of small local communities. So think of uh, the Richmond Hill Liberal or um, North York, YorkRegion.com. Uh, those are all under our domain. Uh, we're located, though, headquartered in Toronto, so Toronto, Ontario. Um, while we are a national brand, like we serve service all of Canada. So, yeah, that's nice. Awesome. Thanks. When we had a chance to connect uh, before, Moan, one of the yeah. things um, you mentioned was that in in order for you know your organization to leapfrog your competition or you know to stay always at the cutting edge in terms of innovation it's really all about people uh can you tell me a bit about what you mean by that and how you feel about it so um leapfrog's a good word right if you want to jump ahead and you want to really outperform and do well the way i think about it and the way we've approached it it's really comes down to high performing teams and, and having high-performing teams really means um, a couple of things. One is you got to have a culture that supports high-performing teams. And then you've got to have the right people that fit into that culture. Mm -hmm. So at Torstar, we've, we've really worked hard to kind of understand what that culture needs to be. We have an acronym uh, called SCARF. Uh, so <laughs> what, is that, what does that stand for? It's, it's easy to remember. Um, so SCARF stands for Selfless, Collaborative, Agile, result-oriented and focused. So those values, we really, we cherish them. We, we celebrate them. Uh, we have ceremonies where peers you know, kind of vote for who's displaying the best uh, SCARF values for that quarter. Uh, we really imbibed it into everything we do, the way we approach all of our ways that we deliver products, the way that we talk to each other, the way we go into meetings, how we say, you know, what we're doing this week. Um, it's all there. And that selfless value is really important because uh, if you got somebody with, let's say, a large ego um, and it's really thinking about themselves first, it really makes it hard to get things done, right? So people really come in, that value is really important, collaborative, we really sit down, we work together. Um, 
we definitely want to be flexible. We want to be agile, not just agile delivery or agile kind of in the, you know, the classical term of scrum and whatnot, but agile on how we approach things. And then result oriented is really about knowing what you're trying to get done, right? Mm -hmm. What's going to move the needle. Um, and, and that's really important for us. And then focus. Um, I can only tell you that for us, focus has been a real key conversation item because if you're not focused and you're getting off on a tangent, it's like the best thing we do is we just call each other out and say, hey, does that really got to get done right now? Or can we move that off and talk about Q2 or Q3 or even next week if it has to be that way? Right. And, you know, um, we both share this challenge. Talent and hiring is always a challenge, finding good people. Um, what what specifically do you look for in the candidates um, uh, that you bring into Torstar, and what steps do you take to kind of find those those right people? Sorry, Arm, you broke up. I couldn't hear the last question. Oh, sorry. I, I was saying, um, you know, it's hard to find good people at times, no matter you know what organization you're you're in. But what what specifically do you do uh, when you're looking for, or what do you look for in candidates? And what yeah. steps do you take to find the right people? Such an awesome question. I thought about this one um, because you know it's something that you almost think, what am I doing? What, what what's my approach to how do I how do I get good talent and what am I doing? So really, I think the first thing I look for is like some type of alignment with the industry. Um, it it doesn't necessarily need to be that you worked in the industry, but you have a connection. I find if you look for people like that, it really makes a difference. So I've talked to people that I've interviewed that said, oh my uncle. I used to be a reporter or when I was, you know, a kid, I wrote an article that got published and I really liked that. Or, you know, I like reading news. And I read news every day. Um, for me, some kind of alignment with the industry mm -hmm. as a first linkage, because there's going to be a connection, a deep connection, which is the second thing that I look for is passion. So if I can find that link, I find the passion. Those two things really come almost like for me, there's one and two, but they're super important. Um, I think the third thing, and I think this probably is also true for you, Aram, is a growth mindset, right? Somebody who's going to come in, and it's okay if you try something out and it doesn't work the first time, you don't give up. You kind of like say, oh, okay, I'm going to try that and more the next time and try to get better and learn and grow. Um, and, you know, I'll ask the classical questions like, what are you, what, what, what are you reading today? Um, what's the last book you read? Or um, how do you keep up to date on what's going on in your market or in your area of expertise if it's product management i'll ask them questions about you know what's the last product that you downloaded or mm -hmm. if it's a delivery manager i'll talk to them about you know uh how do you view velocity and what what's your current thinking about is it working is it not working you know stuff like that just things that are like cutting edge or people are talking are they up to date are they how are they keeping up to date that's what i look for mm -hmm. um and then this is the real this is critical so if they meet those things i think um, the most important win. for me, well, almost communication. Almost, okay. I really, I, we talk a lot to stakeholders, especially in the roles that I'm hiring for and the teams that I'm building. Um, being able to communicate uh, clearly, um, often and in a repetitive way, but in a way that people can understand, um, and being able to listen, which comes hand in hand with communicating, uh, for me is really important. So. I look for great communication skills. So those four things, I think it's alignment with industry, passion, growth mindset, and communication. Okay, awesome. And um, talking about people, uh, as a leader, coaching is a <clears throat> really important part of their success. You know, 
uh, and what, how you help them, you know, with that growth mindset. You know, some organizations have that kind of do as you're told mentality and, you know, you don't question anything, which is really unfortunate because innovation tends to like not thrive in those settings. How do you encourage candidates once they've been hired to really think for themselves, have opinions, question things, always ask why <laughs> and become, you know, really open to being proven wrong at times, even as a leader? I think so to go back to your very first thing is do as you're told mentality. Um, I think you look at it first when you hire. So you've hired somebody. I mean, you need to stress test that in, in the hiring interview. Are you hiring somebody who kind of got that mentality or not? Um, but then I kind of go back to the, the other part of the sentence and the question you asked, which is, you know, a large organization uh, or enterprise. Um, large, a lot of the large organizations today really want to be nimble they want to be like a startup because they want to have that competitive advantage they know that they can be nimble they can be agile they can kind of compete and that's no true that's true for us at Torstar too we look at how to create a startup culture within our own organization which is fairly large we're over a thousand people we've got to be responsive we've got to be customer focused how do you do that so for the team when they come and how do you coach them the first thing that I always tell them is have an opinion don't be afraid to have an opinion and share it and it's okay if you're wrong, but if you're going to have an opinion, then back it up with research, right? So, you know, okay, I have this opinion. I think the color should be blue. Okay. Why do you think the color should be blue on this button? Oversimplify, but you know, come back with like, okay, well, I've seen it on, you know, four different websites with those colors. Uh, okay. That's measuring, but like go deeper and deeper first user testing, use, you know, talk to people, figure out what's working. Form your own opinion and then mm -hmm. back it up with data as well. Like do the quantity, look at KPIs, look at metrics, whatever you can to measure. Um, and then I think the other feedback that I give to a lot of um, people who are in this mentality is like, if you got an opinion and you want to, you're not doing as you're told, speak up, but also um, don't wait for a grand reveal. So in other words, keep the loop constant, right? So think about if you, if you believe in a grand reveal, I'm going to come and give a big presentation and get everybody on board. I've seen that just not work. But if you kind of drop hints, I'm thinking about this, what's your thoughts about it? Uh, getting kind of dropping seeds and, and sprinkling your ideas. Exactly. It mm -hmm. really helps. And, and, you know, like our stakeholder community now knows us. We, we are people that will overshare <laughs> and we'll, we'll make sure our ideas are not sound like brand new when we finally come into a room where we're discussing them as kind of like, here's the feature we want to ship. You need to plant seeds. You need to continuously ask the same questions over and over again. Um, so that when you're presenting your idea, finally, you know, in a, in a formal way, it's not something that's new. Most people right. have kind of come to it and, and your opinion is not new, right? And the nice thing is that you're forming your opinion. You're not doing as you're told. You're actually kind of the opposite. You're telling people what you want to do and getting them to buy into it and, and learn about it, not as a big reveal, but as something that's incremental. Mm -hmm. and just to follow up on that, what is, um, you know, you have a lot of experience. You've been in the space for a long time. What is something that you wish you knew about motivating people 10 years ago that you know now? I think the big thing is the power of one-on-ones. Um, <laughs> uh, 10 years ago, I probably didn't use it as powerful a tool as like I do today. Um, don't miss your one-on-ones. Even, and, and let the agenda for the one-on-ones be defined by the person that uh, is coming to your one-on-one, right? So a lot of people reporting into me, I ask them, this is your time, let's meet, 
Tell me what's on your mind. Tell me what you want to talk about. One-on-ones are super key, super powerful, and, and really make a big difference in uh, how I mentor people and how I coach them. Nice. No, that's great. Uh, it's, it's super imperative. That way you get the feedback loop going all the way around. Um, go ahead. No, I was going to say it's even good for like just getting to know them, right? Like to get to know your, your you don't have to be about work. It can be, I've had a half an hour where I've just talked about the family and about what they're doing. Um, and those are sometimes the best one-on-ones. Um, it motivates people to know that they can come to you, to listen to you, and that they've got a you know sounding board, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. No, that's great. Thanks, thanks for sharing that. No um, wanted to move into the product development side of things, if you don't mind. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, different organizations source new new product ideas from unique places or standard places. What do you do at Torstar, or where does your team go when they look for for inspiration or to find their next big thing that they want to explore? Um, there's a number of things. So I'll talk about some of the conventional ways that we do things, which you probably think you've heard before. Our like we'll do a lot of competitive research. Mm -hmm. um, we run design sprints. We run at least one design sprint per quarter. Uh, if not more often, um, we'll do versions of workshops so not just design sprints. Sometimes we'll do some type of other variation and shorter, maybe the one day workshops. Um, we talk to customers. We have things called customer days. We do at least one of them again a quarter we'll, and we plan that out. Uh, we've got a great UX, UI team that kind of thinks about these things, tries to source new ideas. We do it by segmentation. So we'll think of like a user group that we want to talk to that's uh, key to us. So for example, we're doing a study right now on senior days uh, and talking to a whole bunch of uh, elderly folks to understand, um, you know, and source ideas from them. So it doesn't have to just be one group, but we focus on a number of different ones through that use of that tool. Um, we talk to industry experts. Um, so okay. yeah, like the media industry, especially the newspaper industry, let's use that old term. Um, we talk to, we, we share, right? So I have people that I talk to in the States, uh, talk to people in, you know, over across seas in Europe, just to kind of know what's going on in their industry and what they're doing. And they'll share ideas and we'll share what we're doing. Um, oh, this has been actually, yeah, we did a workshop on personalization on the mobile app and we invited uh, somebody from the Hearst team onto that and, and we were sharing we were sharing ideas sharing how we contacted netflix and we started talking to netflix how do you do things right so really trying to go out and talk to different experts oh, wow. and get yeah it, was, it's, it really helps and then when we didn't have covid we would send our people to conferences and let them hear what's going on you can do a lot of it online now but i find people just they don't do that <laughs> they go they tend to want to be you know away from the office have that focus yeah. time and it really recharges what aside from the things you mentioned what are some of like uh, i'm curious to know i'm sure the audience would want to know as well any unorthodox strategies that you try out i mean that one for me i didn't know that your industry does that for me that's like okay that's that's already a win because people are talking and sharing any yeah. any anything else any any other kind of uh unusual um places you go to for inspiration so we go to our people this is something i think is unorthodox it's called the hack a think um, not a hackathon, a hack thing. <laughs> so what that is, is we uh, will pull people from different parts of the organization, sales, marketing, digital, um, uh, beta, and mm -hmm. we create groups and we say, here's a problem. And you've got one day 
go and solve through it. And at the end of the day, present uh, your solution to the problem. And that's mm-hmm. kind of like a bake-off where we'll see which one's the best idea. But we source so many ideas to that because a lot of the, and we, we specifically look at people that don't generally get engaged uh, day-to-day as part of their job description to kind of source ideas. We look for people that are part of the team, part of the organization, but are not, um, you know, having that voice to be heard every day. And they have so many ideas, right? Because they've actually probably got lots of inspirations all the time. Where do you, like with all these ideas, and we've heard other organizations, you know, have like a bottom-up approach where they allow people at say the customer service level or wherever to put some ideas. Where does your organization keep all those ideas organized? What tools, what systems do you use? Yeah, I mean, there's a number of different ways that we do that, right? So definitely customer service is a big part of the customer support. So they definitely, mm-hmm. we interact with them uh, twice a week in two different ways. One is a regular weekly call with them where the product okay. manager will get on a call and talk to them and say, what are the complaints you're hearing? What are things going on? What ideas do you have? And that becomes a backlog that's maintained by the PMs. Mm-hmm. And then we have a second source, which is like, okay, customer complaint reports where we like, view the report that's sent to our senior leadership team as well as the pms and we're all looking at that asking questions and saying okay why is there a spike in this particular problem right now and mm-hmm. what can we do about it and sometimes it'll become something that we'll like jump on right away or something we'll like prioritize for a little bit uh further downstream so how do you um once you kind of get these ideas documented or you have them somewhere mm-hmm. uh how do you know which ideas become actual products uh eventually like what's what's your funnel um yeah how do you refine your ideas to get them to a place where your organization is comfortable then you know starting an initiative around it a couple of different ways i would say there's two core ways that you can do it in our organization right now one is um so if you got an idea and you've kind of done a bit of research and you want to you think it's going to you know we're in a subscription business. Let's say you think you've got an idea that's going to drive a lot of subscriptions. Um, mm-hmm. In that case, what you might do is you might we have a, a weekly digital council, which is a group of senior uh, executives, mm-hmm. where you can come to them and say, "I'd like to get this um, started as an initiative. Can I get capital approval for this? At least to start it." And there'll be okay. depending on it, there'll be different initiatives that will will kind of say, "Yeah," or maybe this is what you do and come back with a bit more answers. But we've got a form that's established that people can know about and they can use. So that's one yeah. way. Now, in the PM community, um, we have a process. Um, maybe I'm jumping ahead here in my own thoughts, but uh, we have a process that allows PMs to kind of present um, their roadmap. Um, and in that roadmap, um, they'll have the opportunity to define something. So if they have an idea, they'll define it. They'll do a bit of competitive analysis, market trend analysis. Um, We've got two kind of ways of thinking about it. What's the customer value? What's the business value? And we kind of measure that up against, you know, revenue. What's the expected revenue? We have two models of revenue, ad revenue and subscription revenue. And then we look at uh, what's the effort, right? And we just use t-shirt sizes, um, small, medium, large, extra large. (laughs) And then that gives us a score that we use that kind of tells us, okay, should we focus on this now, should we focus on it later? Um, maybe, again, the same kind of feedback, you know, they'll, mm-hmm. they'll just schedule, if they've done some initial design, we'll do a design review and say, that makes sense, that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. The, there's a lot of kind of 
insertion in the roadmap. That's the hardest thing to do. And I don't think you've figured that out. Like if I've got a brand new idea that nobody's talked about and you want to bring that in, it's a lot harder to do that as a PM today. We're working yeah. on trying to make that a lot easier. I think, you know, um, that it's hard once you've got a roadmap that you kind of, you've sold and got a lot of stakeholders involved and you say, no, we want to switch. It's hard to change that. The best way that we can do that is through A-B testing. Uh, so we found changing people's ideas once you've got something in market and you think you want to try something a little bit different, A-B testing is the best way to go. So we, we also have that app. Mm -hmm. And how do you prioritize initiatives over other ones? Like you mentioned you have the scoring where you're like, okay, maybe it's like the scoring one is like how much work effort between like small, medium, large. But um, once you have that and you look at, you know, all the projects on the horizon and you're doing your planning, how do you know, okay, roadmap wise, okay, this is important. Do that one first and do that one in next quarter or, or, or whenever. So you remember I said communication is really important, right? So um, <laughs> it's also true for the executives and the, and the, uh, the leadership um, at Torstar. So one of the things that we're really good at is understanding what are the themes that we're investing in this year. So we've communicated, these are the themes that we're gonna invest in. And we've identified a few initiatives that are part of that. And these initiatives have strategic goals. And those goals are OKRs um, that we discuss quarterly. We, we sit down and look at them. And within that framework, if somebody were to come and say, hey, we have an idea and we think it's going to move that OKR um, a lot better than other things, that's definitely up for grabs. And the team can go and do that and, and make a you know, suggestion on how to move that forward. Mm -hmm. um, but it's all about giving them the, the means to understand what we're trying to accomplish, right? Through themes, through initiatives, through strategic goals, uh, and OKRs is a great tool that we use to do that. Mm -hmm. And that's every every team that we have, they have, they know what their OKRs are, they know what they're trying to move. And, and that gives them enough freedom to kind of go and say, you know, and we and the, and the other thing is you don't just set the OKRs for the quarter, say bye, go away. We, we're meeting weekly to look at, hey, how are, how are you trending? How are you tracking? Um, what about that OKR? Is it green, yellow, red? And kind of have those conversations about why it's trending in one direction or not. And there isn't, like, this is really important. We take it seriously, but we don't have this kind of like system where if you don't hit your goals or you don't hit your OKRs, um, you're, you know, it's not like you're losing your job or anything like that. It's really about, hey, okay, we missed this. This is not good. What can we do to get back on track, right? Right, right, right. No, it's, that's, um... It's an important metric, but definitely not like something that can make or break that person's uh, progression or career. Uh, yeah, it's it's always it's also hard to sometimes monitor, and there's always distractions. Um, I think the best example is uh, the the Google example, right, in the OKR book, where uh, the uh, I think it took them to get they want Chrome to get from like twenty percent market share, and it took I think almost three years to get that. I mean, we're, we're laughing about it now that was the number one uh, yeah. browser used, but at that time, it, it didn't took a long time to hit that OKR. No, for sure, for sure. Um, how, um, just out of curiosity, in your organization, how often do you ship new products? Is it like, is it a defined kind of rollout of uh, of new, sh you know, new versions, or is it kind of like whenever it's ready, let's ship it out? So, I mean. Um, there's a couple of different ways to answer that question, Arm. We run uh, bi-weekly sprints. So we ship to production um, incremental value every two weeks, mm -hmm. um, both on the app and on the website. 
So that's a, a regular rhythm that we adhere to. Now, sometimes we'll ship code to production, we won't make it visible to users, and they won't see that incremental value. But we know by shipping it to production that it's working, yeah. uh, and that is something that's robust enough that it could turn with a flip of a switch on, right? But because we want to create a certain custom experience, we might need two or three sprints to, to actually do that. Um, so I would say we ship bi-weekly and major features, um, mm -hmm. probably in a quarter, it's, it's, I've looked at the list, it's in the vicinity of 15 to 20 different new features that we ship in a quarter. It's like okay. kind of the volume of what we're doing. Yeah. No, that's great. Yeah, that's uh, it's a good output. It is. Uh, <laughs> You, when we had when we chatted last time, you mentioned something about some so a system called Five D. Uh, can you ah. tell me more about that? I, I love talking about this. <laughs> <laughs> we we we've put in a process that's a framework. I would call it more than a process um, to structure how we do our work. Um, so you heard me earlier on talk about the definition phase. And that's one of the five Ds. That's the first one. Um, that's where we're scoping things out. We're doing our competitive research, our market trend analysis, uh, making sure the strategic goals are all aligned. Um, mm -hmm. We don't do formal charters because we try to be agile, but we definitely make sure we document and capture what the goals are and what the vision is, what we want to achieve with that particular um, initiative. Um, once that defined phase is finished, we move into what we call design. That's where you do all your design thinking, your product thinking, you'll do user flows, user interviews. Uh, you might even do some additional customer research or uh, competitive research. You'll talk to users. We do a lot of usertesting.com uh, with our designs to make sure they're easily understood. Um, Mockups, wireframes. And at the end of it comes out what we call an epic. Um, and that epic uh, is a fancy word that you use in, in Scrum for the requirements <laughs> uh, of, a, of a feature or a, a tool that you want to send. Uh, so we'll use the Epic, and then that comes into what we call the next D, which is the delivery phase, where it goes into the sprint teams. Um, and a delivery manager heads up the delivery phase, whereas the product manager manages the Epic. And in our team, the delivery manager will take them to sprint with the delivery team um, and use that into user stories that we use to ship. Um, all of those things that you'd expect in a normal Scrum happen, that, you know, all your regular ceremonies. Uh, and then um, we have what we call a deploy phase. And the reason why we have deploy phase is really strategic for us because actually now it's probably less needed than before, but it was all about focusing on automation. So we wanted automated testing to be in there. We want continuous delivery and continuous deployment to be part of our thinking. So earlier on, we didn't have such a robust system, but now that we are in a very good place, I would say, um, we don't talk about deploy as much as we used to <laughs> because it's just like a click of a button <laughs> which is what you want yeah. it to be um and then the next phase which is really really important which we're really focused on right now is the drive phase which drive what, drive yeah okay so what okay <laughs> so that's where we're in production and we're optimizing so okay. we're measuring how is it performing uh, we might do surveys, we will definitely watch KPIs and key metrics, and then we'll, you know, to your point, how do you ID, how do you become creative, we will think of A-B tests that we want to run. And that's been a big, like the last, I would say, six to 10 months, a huge focus for us. How do we get that part of our regular thinking? How do we 
orient ourselves in that direction. Interesting. And um, with that being, with you sharing that, I'm curious to know how much of the product that you ship is, or, you know, uh, with the features as well, how much of that is net new features versus improving products that are already in market? Like, it's, um, is there a yeah, split between like how much you optimize and perfect the existing features versus creating new ones? What's like the balance? It's, um, it's interesting. So if you think of our subscription theme, um, I would say it's about a 50-50 kind of thing. So okay. where we are looking at the shop page and we will, you know, we'll see how it's performing and we'll say that design didn't work, but that's a big chunk of work to redesign it. So, you know, that's not just a simple A-B test. We'll, we'll actually rethink and, and do a lot of customer surveys and customer setting interviews and, and industry best trend analysis and talk to those experts I talked to you about and figure out what we need to do differently to get our shop page to perform better. That's a big chunk, and that's like those kind of things on the subscription theme will be require more um, optimization, if you will. Then there's other areas like um, you know our page optimization, where you might come to an article page and you might not notice that we moved the byline from one location to the next location, and for some reason that reduces our bounce rate. <laughs> right? So we'll okay. we'll do smaller things like that, and I would say those types in that area we're still not the volume where I'd like to be at, probably some like 10 to 15% is those kind of optimizations. And um, I wanted to ask this before I forgot, but your background is, you came from the services space originally, right? Yeah. What, what, kind of, what kind of techniques, mindset, approaches did you bring from that uh, career previously into what you do at Torstar? Well, one of the great things about the services industry when I was working in it is that I had to figure out how to build teams really fast and kind of cost it out, estimate it out, and figure out how to how to ship something um, at scale. So you you know, talk to multiple customers, they've got various things. So in in an enterprise and a tour store when I came there, um, you know, the first thing that it helped with was trying to put in a system of how do we build teams, how do we see teams structured. Um, what does a sprint look like even um, was a question that we were asking ourselves uh, when I first got there. It, was, it wasn't even there in the beginning, to be honest with you. So we put that all in. Um, and the big thing is, and this is something that helped a lot of the customers I worked with when I was there is, how do you budget in an agile world, right? Mm -hmm. um, how do you allocate funds? How do you make sure that you are investing in the thing that has the highest return in a way where you don't have a roadmap, you think of you know, think of the financial services, where they'll have a roadmap for three years, what they're going to invest in, and the budget's pre-allocated and it's you know X amount of dollars. And if you want to get more or you need to change it, forget it. But if you're shipping regularly in an agile world, and you're yeah. being able to show that you can actually do that, that was something that I, I was helping our clients with when I was in the service industry, and I was able to bring that into the organization and internalize that. Hmm. I'm actually curious to know about how do you budget out of agile projects with undefined roadmaps? <laughs> it goes back to what I talked about before. So organizations need to be very clear about um, their themes and they need to be very clear about the OKRs and the strategic goals that they want to move. Mm -hmm. And they need to see if they're doing it or not. And they need to also be clear on saying what they want to invest in. So if it's mobile, let's say a theme is mobile and it's an app, 
And it's because they want to focus on the acquisition funnel downstream so it's more about retention. And that's the purpose of the app, for example, and that's currently our strategy. Then, you know, okay, how are you more worried about acquisition up the funnel? So then you'll invest more there, whereas if you're more uh, worried about, um, you know, retention, you'll focus downstream into the app and to that theme. What's interesting is, and you didn't ask the question, but I'll answer it anyways. How do you structure your development teams so that they can be that um, agile? How do you scale up, scale down? Um, we try to think of our dev teams as, as, as what are their skill sets? And we can scale up the teams and scale down the teams basically as we need to, or move them around, if you will, without um, them feeling like they're getting shifted around. So mm -hmm. it's, it's not easy, but we've been working on that. Oh, it's, 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 it's super tough um, managing agile teams because they're constantly looking at new features or getting moved around towards different priorities and, you know, keeping them aligned yeah. and, you know, communication is super important. And I want to ask, ask a question there about, you know, breakdown in communication happens in any organization is often the culprit of like many reasons. What do you do? What strategies do you do in order to over communicate? You know, to you know, make sure that you're enriching all the conversations that you have, uh, to make sure everybody's on the same page, especially now with a remote world, like we're all not able to see each other or be around together all the time while we're working. How do you fill that gap? Um, I think it's re there's a number of different ways that we we do it. So one of the things that we do in our ethics is we capture up front who are the stakeholders. Um, so as front and center, like on this particular feature or this epic that I'm working on, I need to make sure that this group is um, up to date on things and, and kept up to date. Now, how do we do that? Um, I'm not a fan of like repeat meetings scheduled in your calendar and you meet and it's there all the time. Um, I tend to think if you don't have them, um, you know, you're, you're gonna be in a position where you're gonna be forced to kind of think, do I need to have this meeting? How do I get feedback? And what we've done is we've used Slack a lot. We've used a lot of those types of channels of communication to foster that. But if we need to get together, we do a lot of ad hoc Slack calls, for example. Um, we do have um, this notion of a design review. And if a PM needs to get together and make sure that they're communicating what they're doing, they'll just schedule it in with the stakeholders that they've identified in their epic and we'll get together. Um, so, you know, that requires maybe four or five days ahead of thinking that, okay, I'm gonna need uh, a design review and I wanna meet and get share my ideas and get feedback. But because they know they're gonna to get to that point and they've been in that situation, that helps. The other thing that we do, and this is where I'm contradicting myself, but this is really helpful. We have what we call product monthly. And in the product okay. monthly, we invite uh, the newsroom, we invite the marketing team, the digital team, it's an open forum, anybody can come. And all of our PMs will give an update on key um, things that they've been working on in the last month and things that they reported before where they are today. So what's been shipped? How are things performing? Uh, what's important to that portfolio of the PM that they're working on? So mm -hmm. that's how we've accomplished that. Okay. Okay. Um, for you as a leader, where, where do you go for growing your own expertise? Uh, you know, we talked about, you know, I'm sure there's different books or, you know, blogs, product management, thought leadership uh, content out there. Uh, 
but how do you stay current? You know, who do you turn to? Who do you speak to? Uh, I'm curious to know. I mean, it's it's always evolving. It's not a it's not a linear path for me. I think if you're a person who wants to grow and have a growth mindset, then it's not just for the people you hire. You have to be that way yourself. Mm-hmm. So for me, I'm I'm really all about that. Of late, um, Arm, I've been going on Clubhouse. Uh, okay. Both hosting my own clubs, but also joining a lot of the clubs, talking. I've I've it's been amazing. I've hooked up with really? people in Silicon Valley and talking about, you know, what are they doing down there. Um, and they'll just like you'll be amazed at the wealth of knowledge that they have and how willing they are to share. Um, the PM community particularly is really open to doing that. Um, so that's been awesome. Um, I actively listen to podcasts. Um, in the summer, when I could go running, I would listen to a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, podcasts soon, soon, <laughs> soon, right? I'm, I'm, fingers crossed, the weather's getting better. Um, but that's been a really great way to kind of learn and and um, I think I'll try new podcasts out. There's one that I was listen, recently listening to called Dare to Lead, uh, which has been awesome. Um, a lot more kind of people management and culture and, and you know, how do you uh, deal, you know, lead with empathy, I would call it, basically, if you, if you go and mm-hmm. download the podcast. Um, books are still my number one source, whether it's audiobooks or, or reading them. Um, I read a lot. <laughs> I listen a lot. And um yeah, blogs are important, but I find it's you know it's the it's it's not as frequent as it used to be. I find I get a lot more out of reading books, to be honest with you. You have to choose, any, right? Any must-read recommendations for uh, the audience to to uh, pick up? Okay, one second. I got my list here. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm listening to one right now. Uh, it's an audio book called "Think Like Amazon: Fifty and a Half Ideas to Become a Digital Leader" by John Rossman. Okay. And I'm loving it. So for whatever I've done, like they talked a lot about this idea of day one company or a day two company, and you want to be a day one company. It's something you've heard about before, but it's um, emphasized in the book. And there's like really, it's, it's bite-sized, so you can go to it and just read one of them. And I like that. Um, the other book, I don't know if you've heard of it, Arm, that I read last year, and I love it. It's, um, I, I kept it on the side, so I don't forget to mention it if you asked. No Rules Rules, right? By uh, Three Days Things. Three Days Things. It's like from a culture and as a leader, uh, leadership point of view, I've learned a lot from there. I love the concept of four A's. Haven't been successful in kind of bringing that into our own culture, but trying to, which is, you know, the feedback framework that they have to find in the book. So it's a great book um, and uh, very progressive. I don't know if we'll, we're quite at the Netflix level at this point, but it's very progressive. No, you'll, I'm sure you'll get there. You're, you're doing all the right things, Mon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> something, a uh, couple last questions before we wrap up, Mon. I um, wanted to ask, what, what, would you, what advice would you give to um, a trailblazer looking to drive change at their enterprise? Build relationships. Um, it's the most important thing for anybody who wants to, you know, if you want to trailblaze, you can't, you can't do it on your own. You've got to strategically mm-hmm. work and network, um, build trust. It's, it's huge because if you have trust, um, it'll open doors and people will listen. If you don't have trust, it's a, it's a biological reaction, right? If I don't trust you, I'm shutting down. I'm not listening to you anymore. Uh, you can say all you want to say, Aaron, but I it's going in one ear, going out the other. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas if you are somebody I trust, 
I'm going to listen. And it comes down to like, what kind of conversation are you having? If you're having, uh, this is from another book that I read called Conversational Intelligence. Um, but if you're having a level three conversation where you're open and you're listening uh, and you're willing to kind of come into being, um, not knowing what the outcome is already, right? So you're not predisposed to something. Um, those conversations help a lot. They build a lot of trust and you can really make a lot of, make a huge impact um mm -hmm. in your organization by just by just uh, i think yeah you're right like listening and uh shutting up and just letting the person speak and uh just paying attention i think is something a trait that people in any company anywhere can just start doing more <laughs> it's it's so more so much more important in this uh world of zoom meetings right where it's so easy to tune out um yeah. if you want if you want to listen you got to plan and that means also when you hosting a meeting um, to make sure that you're cognizant of the fact that if you book back-to-back -back meetings without giving like five minute breaks in between or letting people have breaks you don't do it too long um, you're not going to get the value like you would when we used to meet in person where there'd be that natural kind of settling of the room um, it really makes a difference in the quality of listening no uh last question for you mohan um you know, you're you're in the media space. You're yeah. you're seeing, you're making change. What are some of the trends uh, that you're seeing in your industry uh, that are going to come to be in the next, say, three to five years? Are going to have a big impact? Um, I think the biggest thing that I'm seeing is the understanding that you know, first of all, there's a real threat. Um, Third-party information is going away. Right, it's mm. just it's, it's disappearing. So um, you're gonna have to start thinking about first-party data a lot differently, and that's gonna open up a lot of creative ways that you try to create a relationship with your customer. Um, that's true of the media industry. That's true of many industries, but it's really pronounced in an industry that used to use third-party data to kind of drive ad revenue. Um, mm -hmm. Now you won't have that third-party data. So how do you build a relationship of trust? Mm -hmm and uh, intimacy with somebody who's coming to your site. So you're gonna see a lot of things that change in that direction. And that's gonna mean uh, you'll have to add value. You'll have to think of value propositions. You'll have to be creative about it. Storytelling is going to probably change drastically. You're already seeing it. You're seeing a lot more shorter format storytelling to mm -hmm. capture people, but then there are people who wanna have um, you know, time to read longer stories and read that type of content. How do you tell those longer stories in a way that keep people hooked and 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 or they can come back, right? So there's a lot of different things. And then we're in the industry of hard news. So how do you make sure that you're getting in front of people um, so to get the hard news that's most important to them? So personalization is going to be it's, it's already a big thing, but it's going to just keep on evolving. And people are getting really really creative on how they do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's great. Uh, it makes me think about that. Um video company, content company that just went uh, under recently, QB. Ah, uh, yes. Sure you've heard of. Yeah, it's an interesting story. I uh, spent, they had a great team, great leadership, uh, and you'll never know whether it was like the approach, the product idea, or, um, you know, uh, the timing. It could have been the timing. You know, sometimes product launched at the wrong time. Um, so 
it's very hard to know, right? Because they did all the testing, they had all the data to prove that this people want a short content. Um, yeah. yeah, it's a tough, it's tough to launch a brand new product like that. And I think it's even tougher when you're trying to break in where there's so many well-defined um, players in it, right? There's a lot of heavy weighted, uh, sorry, heavy weighted people in that. So whether it's your Netflix or whether it's Disney, who yeah. recently gets entered there, so it's a crowded space. Crowded space for sure. Uh, it's getting crowdier crowdier by the day awesome uh mohan thank you so much it was great thank you for being on our on our on our on our show on our series um for everybody listening uh tune in next time to hear uh more about product and innovation uh thought leadership from our guests and uh, them sharing their insights so thanks again mohan it was a pleasure having you pleasure being here thanks Tom. <laughs>